Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our opening scripture is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the premier scripture for people who are Christ's followers. We need to make the Lord Jesus first in our lives. He needs to be magnified, and we need to be humble in His sight. And we can do that by making Him preeminent. We need to love Him in our heart, with our whole might, with our mind, and with our total being. And as we turn ourselves over to Him, He empowers us to know His will. He empowers us to do the work of the ministry. He empowers us to have open doors so that we can serve Him throughout this life. And so we need to commit ourselves totally into His hands and ask Him to use us in a mighty way.
This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Dennis Campbell, who's the Director of Development for Global Outreach Mission, and he's involved in a lot of projects that, uh, that we're doing at the present time. Today we wanted to uh, give an update, really, on, on Sierra Leone and um, some of the things that are happening there. And Dennis, why don't you uh, tell us about some of the people and, and some of the opportunities that we have in Sierra Leone uh, to share the gospel and to help people physically. Well, thank you, Brian. It's good to be with you today. Uh, it's been a very trying time in Sierra Leone when the number of cases, and in that epidemic, we know we're sitting in a place today where we're looking back. And through this crisis of disease, a secondary problem began to develop very quickly, and that was through the quarantines, starvation began to take place. So these homes and individuals... The quarantines were by the government. They yeah. imposed these things so people can move out of their villages. That, that's right, Brian. Uh, it, it became necessary, as you saw in the press, that if there was any suspect of disease, it required a 21-day quarantine. And in some cases, when that happened, or there were cases, entire villages or communities were uh, shut off. Uh, the marketplaces were shut down. Uh, farmers were uh, not allowed to bring their produce, which was uh, very critical in this kind of agricultural-based system. Uh, and Global, with the help of its many donors around the North America and the world, uh, became came to the rescue uh, by providing food, as you know. A container this last week which now represents a total of one million meals that have been shipped over. We have about 4,000 families uh, that are at various stages of care of the ministry. And so that product has been very effective to be added with the local rice of providing a nutritious meal. Uh, the important thing is how you distribute it. And we've been able to use the connections uh, with our Christian schools and churches to be the distributing points to identify the needs in the community, and that has been a major outreach for the local church. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of people come to Christ because of this, because there's no one else helping these people, and everything's been given in the name of Christ. We even have motorcycles that we've purchased uh, to be able to get out to the outlying re uh, regions where it's, it's very hard to get to. So we've been able to, to feed an awful lot of people, and, and God has really helped in a mighty way bring people to Christ through this uh, food distribution. We'll talk more about this next week, Dennis, but boy, uh, the Lord Lord has really been doing a great work in Sierra Leone in, in spite of the crisis. There's a lot of spiritual work that's being done, and we look forward to talking about this next week. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. We thank you so much for your prayers and for your financial support. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet, Where's My Miracle? by Joni Erickson Tata. It's, it's really a, a pamphlet on unanswered prayer, and she talks, out, talks about her own journey with an unanswered prayer, the fact that she was injured and became a quadriplegic and asked for healing and had people praying for healing. She expected healing but she wasn't healed. And then it talks about many of the scriptures that she used and some of the scriptures that she claimed. And then she talks about how God in his sovereignty did not answer them, but gave her other things that uh, blessed her life. And at the end, she was thanking the Lord for even her dilemma. 
And I think it's a book that can be helpful to a lot of us. It has a, it has a lot of the Word of God and uh, scriptural principles that I think all of us need to, to learn and understand. And at the end, the Lord is working in all our lives. He just does it in different ways for each and every one of us. It's a book that I highly recommend, uh, especially if you have unanswered prayers that you'd like to get the answers for, or if you have friends who have unanswered prayers, it can be a great encouragement to them and a great blessing to them. You can get your copy of this pamphlet entitled, Where's My Miracle, or just Miracle, to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, 72R, 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from harbor you may guide across the bar, right in the corner where you Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning, is entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we resume our series of talks entitled, The Faith Which Was Once Delivered. Last week we dealt with the all-important matter of the Bible's reliability as a source of absolute truth. We noted that an intelligent conclusion in this matter rests on two related questions. One, did God at some time in the past give man a perfect revelation of eternal and absolute truth? And two, 
If so, has God preserved that revelation inviolate so that we today have a Bible that is in very truth the verbally inspired, divinely preserved, infallible and inerrant Word of God. We presented a summary of the extensive evidence that compels us to give an affirmative answer to both these questions. If you missed last week's talk, may I suggest that you obtain the text in manuscript form, which we will gladly send you free and postpaid on request. Drop us a note if you're interested. Our conclusion, based on many years of study of the evidence, is that insofar as the Bible and the English language is concerned, the translation of 1611, known as the Authorized or King James Translation, has, like the earlier manuscripts from which it was translated, all the hallmarks of divine verbal inspiration and preservation, and is in every detail the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, it is the literal and infallible and inerrant Word of God, therefore deserving of our interest, our respect, our acceptance, and our obedience to the eternal truth it reveals. Today we turn our attention to the divine person of Jesus Christ, the living Word, to whom God's written Word bears witness. Significantly, the inspired writer of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 31 says this of the things written therein concerning Christ. These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Note the two things stated. First, the divine record of Christ's life is recorded in the inspired scriptures not merely as a record of historic events, but to provide irrefutable evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ, that you and all others who examine that evidence might believe that Jesus Christ was and is indeed the Son of God. And two, if you believe and accept that established fact and respond to it intelligently, you will be the recipient of that new spiritual life that Christ imparts to those who believe and turn to him for forgiveness and restoration to fellowship with God. My friend, it's worth your while to discover what the inspired scriptures tell you about Jesus Christ. He himself once said, Search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. For the next few minutes, I invite you to do what Christ suggested, to the end that we may discover what the Scriptures affirm concerning His deity and sovereign lordship as the Son of Almighty God. You will quickly discover that the deity of Christ is one of the cardinal doctrines of the faith once delivered unto the saints. We start by noting that God in the Scriptures clearly affirms that Jesus Christ is his Son. And Christ just as clearly repeatedly affirmed that God was his Father. When Christ came out of the waters of Jordan, where he was baptized by John the Baptist, Matthew 3.17 records that God the Father spoke in an audible voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
Again with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and James and John heard God speak from heaven in an audible voice, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus Christ consistently spoke of God as his Father. In John 10:31, he said, I and my Father are one. In his last prayer, recorded in John 17, he prayed to God, Father, glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. He said in John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father. In John 10, he replied to the scribes and Pharisees, who were indignant because he said God was his Father, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? When Christ healed a cripple on the Sabbath day, John 5.18 says the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. When the angel Gabriel announced to the Virgin Mary that she was to be the mother of the Christ child. The startled Virgin replied, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And Gabriel replied, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Many humanists hold that Christ's origin was his birth in the manger at Bethlehem. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Christ is the second member of the eternal triune Godhead, consisting of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct divine spirit beings, co-equal in attributes, and capable of operating one apart from the other, and yet comprising one eternal self-existent God. This is the mystery of the divine trinity, and it is beyond our human comprehension. We know it to be true only because God himself declares it is true in the inspired scriptures. John 1 and 1, referring to Jesus Christ as the eternal word, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the Word, that is, Jesus Christ, was God. Christ, while on earth, frequently affirmed his pre-existence. In John 8:58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. His prayer in John 17 includes these words in verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says of the children of Israel during their wilderness journey from Egypt to Palestine, they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. John 1 and 3 and Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tell us that God the Father 
assign to the pre-existent Christ the work of creation. They say that without him was not anything made that was made. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. John 1.14 says of the pre-existent Christ, the eternal word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now that's what happened at Bethlehem nearly 2,000 years ago. The pre-existent eternal and divine Christ came into this world in human form through the miracle of a virgin birth. Christ, the second member of the eternal Godhead, became incarnate in human flesh. Paul, speaking of that incarnation, says in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Christ differed from ordinary human beings in that he was both divine and human, perfect God and perfect man, God in a human body. These two distinct natures of Christ were frequently in evidence throughout his life and ministry. As a child, in his humanity, he increased in wisdom and stature. As God, he confounded the doctors in the temple by his questions and answers. As a man, he grew weary, and he went to sleep in the stern of the storm-tossed fishing boat on Galilee. And then as God, he arose and commanded the wind to cease and it obeyed him. As a man, he wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. As God, he commanded Lazarus to come forth from the grave, his life restored. But the greatest significance of Christ's dual nature lies in its relationship to the work of redemption he came into this world to perform. The purpose of his incarnation is stated in the scriptures in these words, from 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And in Colossians 1, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, Christ came into this world to make peace between God and men. God sent him into the world for that purpose. Consider what the circumstances were. Long before in the dawn of the human race, man had alienated himself from God by deliberately choosing to disobey God's clearly expressed will. By one man's disobedience, the scriptures say of Adam, Many were made sinners. That is because the sin-prone nature Adam and Eve acquired through alienating themselves from God, they passed on to their descendants. For this reason, the entire human race 
is not only sinful by nature and alienated from God by an inherited sinful nature and our own sinful acts, but is incapable of recovering itself from either sin's penalty or power. It is at this point that the infinite love of God for man is manifest in a manner and to a degree that exceeds anything we can imagine. The God against whom we have deliberately sinned so grievously himself became a man that he might bear the consequences of our sins in our place and open a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God and receive from him the gift of eternal life. God became a man in his Son, Jesus Christ, that he might accomplish our redemption. They called his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because Christ was God, he was sinless. Having no sins of his own, he was qualified to become our substitute sin-bearer as the acceptable sacrificial Lamb of God whose death in our stead could satisfy every requirement of divine justice and set us free. Being God, his life exceeded in value the lives of every living creature for whose existence he was responsible as the creator of all things. For these reasons, Christ alone, because of his deity, was the only one who could set us free from sin's penalty and power. As the hymn writer says, there was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. He could do that only because he was not a man like other men, but was the one and only God-man, God incarnate in human flesh. That's why the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the most important eternal truths affirmed in the Word of God, the faith once delivered unto the saints. Now many acknowledge Jesus Christ as a great religious teacher. He's the greatest example of... I trust the messages heard will be a great blessing to you, and I pray that you can apply some of the principles that were taught today in your own life. And I pray that you'll continue to be growing in your faith and your relationship with Christ. There may be others who are listening to this and don't have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only Savior. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also teaches that the wages of our sin is death. That's spiritual death. That's separation from God. That's eternal punishment because you rejected God's salvation. He went to the cross. He took our place. We deserve to pay for each and every one of our sins because God's a holy God and he can't be in the presence of sin. He suffered and he died, but he rose on the third day. And what a wonderful blessing that is. It means that the sacrifice he made for you and for me has been accepted by God the Father. And now we have life and life more abundantly as we come into relationship with him, as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Where's My Miracle by Joni Erickson Tata, or just Miracle. And you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo 14231. 
You can also find our broadcasts on our website at missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. We're so thankful for those of you who pray for us each day. That, that allows us to continue to broadcast CAS National Bible Hour over the airwaves. Thank you so much, and I trust the Lord will bless you throughout this next week. Oh.